welcome to the Tales of Teaching podcast, a place where I hope you can find inspiration, creativity, and most importantly, someone to relate to. Teaching can be tough, as I'm sure you know, so I'm hoping this can be a space where we can motivate one another to take teaching to a whole new level. Welcome to episode 10 for the Tales of Teaching podcast. Um, can't believe I've actually made it to episode 10, you guys. Um, and to be quite honest, when I first started making, when I first had the idea to even make this podcast, I had no idea it was going to kind of be, I guess, where it's at. Um, it's been really enjoyable to make for you guys and to kind of be as helpful as I can and just kind of connect with all of you. It's been nothing like I'd ever expected. So this was kind of highly requested after a post that I did, um, gee, which was a couple weeks ago. No, just last week. Wow. Time, time is flying when you go back to school, um, about making curriculum, um, engaging. So, so unfortunately I feel like there's kind of almost a stigma (laughs) in the education world. So what I mean by that, like almost, if you have this curriculum that your that your district's giving you, that it's going to be kind of impossible for you to make it engage me. Like, oh, you know, I have to follow it by the the book. No pun intended. <laughs> um, and I, I can't do amazing things like these people are doing in their classroom because you know I have wonders, or I can't do those crazy things that they're doing because I have a scripted scripted curriculum or whatever. Um, and so. I guess the kind of this episode is going to be how I take my curriculum. Now, mind you, I don't think my district is nearly as strict as I know some are. Um, my district obviously gives us our curriculum to use, but it's not like they are making you and forcing you to do every single little thing that's in the book. Um, of course, they want you to use it because, you know, curriculum's expensive and they want the money that they put towards it to be useful. Um, but I kind of do my best to kind of almost not use it as a guide, but to use it. But then when I feel like I need to heighten that engagement in my classroom or for a certain subject, or if I see something's kind of not really not landing with the way that it's approached in the book, um, that's kind of when I'll take my spin on it. Um, mind you. And so I usually give these curriculum or these books kind of at least a one year go, sometimes two, just to kind of see, like, especially if it's my first time using it, like, hey, how is this supposed to look? How is this supposed to play out? And so I want you guys, I don't know, maybe new teachers, hopefully this kind of appeals to some of you that you don't have to make every single one of your lessons, like some crazy teachers pay teachers lesson. Okay. There's some days I get it when you're maybe a tired. And so you don't have the time to <laughs> come up with this crazy lesson, right? I can't tell you how many times I've been trying. I was, when I was a newer teacher trying to stay up to like midnight to try and create these really cool, crazy lessons, which again, that's great, but I probably should have used my time a little bit more wisely. <laughs> so I guess kind of my point is it's okay if your stuff isn't insane, but at the same time, Don't let your curriculum kind of be an excuse for why you're not making things, I guess, engaging. It's easy to be lazy, I think, in my head sometimes, but then I kind of stop and think and say, Haley, 
you can make this so much more fun and so much more understandable and so much more hands-on. And so that's kind of what I want kind of hopefully maybe you guys to kind of look at differently um, if you've been kind of wanting to try and play around with how to make it more exciting. So the number one thing or the number one way I feel like you need to look at curriculum like that is instead of it as using it as an excuse or a way to say that you're limited, right? I think you kind of almost need to look at it as kind of almost like a challenge. Like, okay, cool. I have this ground base. How can I make this more engaging for my kids? Or how can I make this more hands-on? Or how can I make this more digestible, I guess you could say, for them um, to get at? So I'm going to kind of share with you guys kind of a couple ways of in the different subjects that I teach um, and how I guess I go about that. So I'm going to start with something that I do on the daily. Well, I mean, I do most of them on the daily, but... I'm going to start with kind of our ELA curriculum and kind of some tiny little tips and tricks I use to make it more engaging, um, to make it maybe more bearable, um, to get through some of these readings, um, and hopefully some of these strategies can stick with you too. So first of all, to kind of give you guys some background premise, I use, or our school district uses Wonders. Um, That's, I think, McGraw-Hill. Um, curriculum. And so just to kind of, if, for, if I get this question probably more times than not about people who are like, oh my gosh, I use Wonders too. How do you make it engaging? What do you think about it? And so I'm going to give a kind of little background. Sorry for those that maybe don't use Wonders, but it's a lot of stuff. I just highly suggest you kind of dig in, kind of try a little bit of everything when you're trying it for the first time and then kind of take, I guess, what you need. <laughs> Um, okay, so let's talk about read-alouds because I think to me as a kid, I remember having flashbacks or I still have flashbacks of when your teacher would do read-alouds or I'm sorry, whole group reading and you'd be asked to do like popcorn reading. And so you would literally probably sit there and count, like at least that I did. <laughs> I would sit and count and be like, okay, how many kids are in front of me? Because our teacher would literally go in order. I'd count, okay, there's 10 kids in, in front of me. I would just count down to like the 10th paragraph and know to kind of check in every now and then um, <laughs> what paragraph I was supposed to be reading. Okay. Now, being a student like that, I know there's got to be students in my class like that. So I have to, I, in my head, I'm trying to make it the most engaging as possible. So whole group reads, I feel like are important because you can go over skills. You can stop, ask questions. Um, sometimes I'll stop and pause and clarify and we'll discuss. And again, I maybe use some questions off of my, my curriculum or my wonders, but for the most, most of the time, I feel like I just kind of think of these questions as we're going and nine times out of 10, it just happens to be one of the questions that was probably in the curriculum. Um, but sometimes I feel like it's nice to kind of ask questions kind of as you're going or questions that kind of come to mind rather than trying to stick to, okay, shoot, I didn't ask this question when we're reading this story. So I don't want you to think that you have to use these as like law. Okay. If you're a new teacher and cause I used to read these TEs and think you had to do it exactly how it was in the book. Okay. So a lot of times I'll have the kids, you know, we read paragraph by paragraph, um, which is fun. And in my class, um, I really try to stress that they need to be following along. And I talk about on the first kind of week of school as to why it's important to follow along and why we do read alouds and why we like to read aloud. And so that kind of is driven home right up right away. Um, and so these are kind of hopefully some strategies you guys can use to keep kids engaged, um, to keep them in it, to keep them with it. So the first one kind of 
came to me last year. We were reading this really long and boring and like drawn out story um, that probably could have ended <laughs> way before or way, yeah, way sooner than what the story was drawn out to. I don't know why, where they pick some of these stories for these curriculums, you guys, um, but it, it was a bad one. And so I was kind of just like racking my brain, like how can I make this, this boring story as engaging as I can? Okay. And it just kind of came to me. I was like, you know what? What if we just like read them in like really cool, fun accents? And so I kind of got the idea to call it a dramatic read. Um, and it's when the kids stand up with their book and read it aloud. And this time, I mean, unfortunately I have rolly chairs, like literally chairs with wheels on them in my classroom. If you guys take a look in my pictures, you'll see what I mean. Um, but last year I did it. And so I would actually have them stand on top of their chair and do these dramatic reads. So they'd stand on their chair, they'd be having the book in their hand, and then they would pick an accent or a voice or some type of way that they wanted to um, read this paragraph. And my only rule was that they couldn't break character. And so no giggling by the time while they were reading it aloud. Um, and they had to try and keep that, that accent or that voice the whole time. So they could do it the whole time. That's fine. Um, and so it, what it did was it kind of really kind of almost helped them find a joy, I guess you could say, for reading. And hands down, this was the most talked about read that we'd ever done. They remembered all the details. They did really good on their comprehension test when they got it. And I think it's just because I was able to kind of make this boring story memorable and fun. And so I know it goes back to kind of when we were little, but if you can kind of find a way to bring in voices or to bring in a fun way of kind of reading aloud and showing that to kids that reading can be fun, um, it just kind of makes it that much more enjoyable. And um, they, my students literally wrote this as one of their favorite memories. But um, so it was like the very last paragraph of the story that we were reading. And so pretty much all my whole class had gone already. And I remember trying to find someone that hasn't that I hadn't read, and I was like, "Oh, okay, I got." It. And then I think one of my students goes, "Oh, I know who hasn't read yet." And I, I said, "Ask them who," and they they all said, "You." And so they made me do the last paragraph, and I kind of told them, "Okay, well, what kind of um, what voice were you guys? What voice should I do?" And they were like, "Valley Girl, Valley Girl. I think you'd be so good at Valley Girl." So I read this whole paragraph, Valley Girl, like OMG, and I read through it and like probably made their day and they wouldn't stop talking about it. And it was by far one of our top 10 moments. Um, I do a little top 10 moments thing for the end of the year. They always tell me their top 10 favorite things that, that happened in the year. And it was definitely on um, a lot of students. And so by doing something so silly like that, guys, so easy, didn't cost me any money to do that, which is fabulous, right? Um, I was able to kind of make a reading that was, would have normally been super boring, very engaging. And so just kind of doing something simple like that, you guys, can change a really boring read to something more exciting, enjoyable, and memorable. Okay, so dramatic reads are a go. Next thing that's one of my favorite things to do is called Mingle Mingle. Um, and this is also good for getting your kids moving um, to break up long reads. And so I usually kind of do this... For the again, if you guys have wonders, you're probably sitting here nodding your heads um, to these lovely long reads, especially for upper grade. Um, and so I'll be reading these with my kids. And so 
I'll usually kind of mark which ones I want to do this strategy with. You don't, this is one of those ones you don't want to use too often because then it kind of loses its power and loses its appeal. So kind of same thing with the dramatic reads. You don't want to do them too much because then it's not as fun. It's not memorable anymore, right? So we'll, I usually do this kind of, you know, when we've read maybe not about like a fourth of the way and I kind of see, oof, there's a long way to go kind of thing. So I will so I'll have the kids stop and I'll say, okay, guys, we're going to do mingle, mingle. And so what this means is I just have the kids push in their chairs, they get up and they start moving. And I, we all sing kind of mingle, 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 stop. And then I have them high five their partner. Okay. So the whole time we're singing the song, they're moving around trying to find their partner. Okay. Or a partner that they want to pick. They high-five their partner once they found one. And so then I kind of will ask them a question that has to do with the reading, okay? So I'll ask them a question that has to do with the reading. Then I give them maybe like 30 seconds to kind of discuss with their partner. So they sit there standing up, talking to their partner for 30 seconds or however long I decided to have them discuss for. I kind of am weaving around, kind of listening to their conversations. And then I'll have I'll do a call and response to kind of draw their attention right on back to me. Um, I will then pick a couple students to share their their thoughts aloud. And so once I kind of feel like we've had enough time kind of sharing our thoughts aloud, adding to the discussion, um, then I kind of say, okay, tiptoe to your seats now. And so we'll go tiptoe to your seats now, tiptoe to your seats now, tiptoe to your seats now and sit right down. Okay. And so they kind of, it's just kind of to coax them to get up quick, find a partner, discuss, and then quietly, quickly getting back to your seats. Okay. And I just love doing the tiptoe because like, I'll say it like really quiet and like the kids whisper it to you. I'll be like, okay, tiptoe to your seats now tiptoe to your seats now, um, just to kind of get them super quiet so they aren't chatting, getting talkative, and are going right back to their seats. And so that's just such a good strategy when you kind of see, and again, being a good teacher, right, is kind of being able to look around and kind of understand when to pull these tool these toolkits out of your toolbox, right? Um, and so once I kind of see, okay, this has been a long time, I see them getting a little antsy, I'm going to do mingle, mingle. Um, and so that's kind of one of my favorites. I personally did not come up with that one. I actually got that from one of my third grade teachers. Um, she came in and did a little mock lesson for me when we first got our wonders. And when I saw her use that, I literally was like, ding, ding, ding. I'm definitely stealing that because it was, it's brilliant and it's easy. And again, kind of changes up the way you ask a question, right? Instead of me just sitting there asking it whole group, they're able to talk it out with their partner. Everyone's having discussion time. And then I call in groups that I want to. Okay. And so that's kind of another one of my absolute favorite ways to kind of break up those lovely, um, <laughs> lovely long reads. Okay. Um, this next one still falls under, um, sorry, still falls under ELA, but actually kind of goes more under the category of vocabulary. Okay. So there are two different vocabulary activities that I love to do. They're engaging, fun, easy, and inexpensive, right? Who doesn't love inexpensive way in engaging activities? So this one is kind of almost like a heads up game. And I like to kind of do this one more for review. So after we've done a couple units of vocabulary, I'll put up old vocabulary words just to see, do they remember kind of the things that we discussed? Um, and what I have them do is they get with a partner. I'll have words that we've learned up on the um, overhead, okay? And I don't show them right away. I have one partner face this, the whiteboard, and one person, the other partner is facing away, okay? So they're not going to see what's going to be up on the screen, in other words. 
So I'll kind of flash the words up on the screen and the partner that's facing the whiteboard is their objective is to try and get their partner to try and guess what, um, what vocabulary word they're trying to get at. Okay. And so the first round is really simple. So I just have them use whatever words, sentences, hints to try and get your partner to guess the word. Okay. So the first round they're trying to get, get them to guess, um, what vocabulary word they're talking about, okay? And then I'll have them switch, same thing. They're just trying to have them guess with just words, okay? Then once we do the second round, and again, I always have it where they put they get one point per correct word. And so what I'll do is I'll have them just kind of on a whiteboard write down all the words that they ended up getting um, or write down a tally of how many correct words they have gotten. And so for round two, it's kind of like the same old thing, except where they're only allowed to say one word. So say the word was apple, okay? And I'm trying to get my partner to say the word apple, okay? And so I will say like fruit. And then they would guess like, oh, grapes, no. Um, red, okay. Strawberry, no. Um, teacher, right? Because you think of giving your teacher an apple. And then they might guess apple, okay? So you're each time you're giving them one word, if they get it wrong, then you can give them another word, Okay. And so they'll do that, then they'll switch, other partner will do the same, and then finally the third round is miming. So they have to, obviously you guys guessed it, have to mime out what these vocabulary words are rather than use words or um, or sing words. So it kind of gets harder and harder as the rounds go on. And a lot of times too, I'll put different words up there so they're not rotating the same words. So one time I might put up unit one words, then I'll maybe put up unit two words. Okay. And it's just to kind of go over old vocabulary words that we've gone over. And they just, they love this game so much. Um, and you'll be surprised of the words they know and they have to know something about these words, you guys, otherwise they wouldn't be able to get their friends to guess them. And so they really, um, I feel like, learn and have fun, and it's engaging. It's easy. They're not having to write down anything. It's just kind of all verbal, which is just so much fun. Um, so that's one of my favorite ones to do. That one's kind of more later in the year, kind of once we've had a couple words or a couple weeks into our belt. Um, the next one is kind of one that I like to do weekly before our assessments, and this one's just, you guys, nothing nothing fancy. Um, we're lucky in a sense that we have one-to-one Chromebooks, so this one kind of really only works if you have... A couple of Chromebooks to use or iPads, um, and this is with Quiz Quizlet Live. And so this one's really easy, for you guys, especially because if you use a curriculum, you can kind of just search up the lists in in Quizlet. So I'll just like Google search Quizlet Live Wonders Grade Five Unit One Week Two, okay, or whatever week we're on, and I'll just click, and that list will already be curated. And the only thing you do is you'll just click all the way at the bottom. It'll say Quizlet live or play live. So I'll click that and then a code pops up and the kids will just type that code into quizlet.live. Okay. And so they get into the game, they have to put their name. And then once they're all ready to go, you click start. And what it does is it shuffles all the kids into different groups. Okay. And so I always have a challenge. It's really fun. Um, it always is animal animal names for groups. Not sure why, but it's really fun. And so I kind of stole this from, I get your teach on, um, thing, uh, there was one of the presenters that for an icebreaker, she had everyone do these different animal moves. And once you got with your animal, you would create your big group. Okay. So I don't have, they're not allowed to say anything, but they have to try and make the movement of their animal. And so if they were a dolphin, you might see some of them jumping. If they're a unicorn, they might have their finger on their forehead. And so they're finding their group that way. Okay. Once they found their group, they sit down and they get ready to go. Okay. And then I'll press start. Well, what's great about this game is they have to play as a team. So on, say there's four kids in a team, okay? So on all four of 
the Chromebooks, and I usually have them all set together when they do this, um, it'll have the same definition. So it'll have a de definition up at the top, but each person has maybe three different words on their screen. And so what they have to do is they have to work together and to figure out what word that would be. So say the definition is up on the screen and I'm, I'm telling my friends, okay, no, the word's apple. And so whoever has the word apple is going to click, okay? And then it keeps going until you've gone through all the words in your list. And it's just really fun because they're seeing the definition. They have to connect the definition to what word it connects to. They're talking about it with their group. Um, and when they get it wrong, it starts them over at the beginning. So then it kind of it has them practicing um, what the right questions are and it'll have the right one pop up like, hey, you know what? This word was this. Um, and, you know, they're getting the, the learning experience out of it. And so this has been my students' favorite game to play before quizzes, which is fun because, you know, gets them practice before they start their quiz. They get accustomed to um, the words and the definitions that are going to be on there. And hopefully one last little practice before we take our quiz. And it kind of gets some of their energy out. They get to relax. It's all nice and quiet by the time we take our test. Um, and they love it so much that they ask if we can play after our quiz. So that just says something itself. Um, and again, you guys, super engaging. I'm not doing much. All I'm doing is, you know, running, running the show, making sure they're not getting too loud. Okay. And so that's a really fun, easy, engaging way to kind of amp up your vocabulary. And again, I just, I just do this every before our quiz day. So maybe you could do review day Thursday. We're going to play the game. Um, I played right before they took the quiz before, and I've just seen really great things, um, come out from it, from all this practice that we kind of do throughout the week. Okay. So I think that's probably enough ELA for you guys. Um, I'm actually going to jump into math because our curriculum, it struggles. It needs so much help. It's not even funny. Um, and we, if you're curious as to what we use, we use expressions. Um, and I just don't have a lot of nice things to say about it. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, so I kind of find that I have to find different ways for myself to try and make it more engaging because I get... I personally get bored teaching it, okay? And so a couple ways that I've kind of transformed this to make it more engaging is kind of from a couple different techniques that I've just kind of seen all over Instagram and I kind of just threw some of them all into one, okay? So one of the ones that's my favorite, I call it picture-perfect multiplication. And um, again, you might need a Chromebook or uh, iPad for this one, but you don't need a whole class set because I give one per one each group. So however many groups you end up having, that's all the Chromebooks you would need. Okay. Um, and so what I did was I put masking tape in a rectangle all around the room. So however many groups I had, that's how many rectangles I had. Okay. And so the whole premise is you guys, is I'm trying to get them to use area model. If you guys aren't familiar with area model, um, it's with like a rectangular, a rectangular model where they expand the two numbers that they're multiplying. And then in each square, they, um, they do smaller multiplication. So for example, if my, my number was 105 times 56, I'm going to expand my um, in expanded notation, right? 105, so 100 plus five. And then in the other side of the square, I'm gonna put 50 plus six, okay? So essentially, it's almost like a little chart. So I'm gonna do 50 times 100, then I would do 50 times five. Then I would drop down and I would do six times 100 and then six times five. And then so what I'm going to do is I'm going to add up all four of those rectangles together to get my sum or my total of the two numbers multiplied together. Okay. So for those of you that are in fourth and fifth grade, 
or even beyond, I know that it goes farther. Um, kids struggle with it. <laughs> and I get it because I never learned it that way. So I struggled teaching it when I first taught it my first year. And so what I did was I put the masking tape on the ground and hey, that makes a perfect rectangle, doesn't it? And so I just kind of gave them extra masking tape to split up the numbers because I had did have some three-digit numbers in there um, and some two-digit numbers in there. So they were able to kind of move the pieces of tape, however many place values they needed it, okay? Um, and so what I did was on a Google Slides as I had maybe six problems they had to solve, but here's the fun part is they had to show me via the model on the ground. And so I had them use masking tape and note cards. So they would use the note cards to plug in the numbers where they went on the rug. Um, and so what they did with their, their computer is they would put the model on the ground for me. Then they would take a picture of it with their Chromebook and input it into the Google slide. Then after they put the model, there was another piece of the chart where they would then just plug in the answer. And so they had to do this for all six um, of these problems. Well, then on the next page, they had to show me using standard algorithms. So I, they had to do that on a whiteboard. So they would do the standard algorithm on the whiteboard, take a picture of it, put it on the chart that said model, and then on the next one, they were able to put the um, the answer. So it was kind of almost like a little T chart that they would fill in, and they were taking physical pictures of the models. This probably was the first time I'd ever seen my students just instantly click with how to finally do area model. And so you guys, I didn't come up with any of these problems. I just pulled them straight from my book. And in fact, instead of just doing all the modeling and the answers on the workbook, I then was just having them do it on my floor, on my rug. So um, if you guys, if there's any way that you can make a engaging lesson with just your rug and a piece of tape, take it and run with it because I can't tell you how exciting and different it is to kind of do something like that. So that by far was one of my favorite lessons to just kind of see them interacting in their groups. So I usually put them in about group of three or four, nothing too many, not too many kids were in there. And it was just so fun to see them work together, to see them understand these problems. Um, when they didn't get it, right? I would, I would come over and check and say, oh, no, try again. Um, how they problem solved to figure out, oh, what is the right answer? Okay. And so that was super easy. And if you guys are at all confused with the way that I was trying to describe it, I do have it as a teacher's pay teacher's product. It's just called picture perfect multiplication. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure it's somewhere deep in my Instagram feed too. If you don't mind scrolling all the way down to last year about this time. Um, so that was one of my very favorite um, math engaging my lessons. And you guys, I just literally took what was in my book and it's, instead of having them do it on paper, they did it on the floor. <laughs> so sometimes just a change of scenery is all it takes. The next thing I like is called musical math. So this I got, ooh, I think from Miss Fifth. If it wasn't her, then it was teaching and so forth. Okay, maybe, you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, I think it was teaching and so forth. Um, and what you do is you have however many students you have, that's how many questions you have, okay? And so on each student's desk, there is a card um, with a number. So we were doing, I think at the time, adding and subtracting decimal numbers. And so it was literally all just decimal numbers on all these kids' numbers on the, all these kids' desks. Okay. They have one sheet of paper. And what you do is you play, you have, you play 
sorry, you play music. And so what they do is they walk around the room around to almost like musical chairs. Okay. So they're walking around the room around these tables. Okay. When the music stops, they stop at a desk. Okay. So I tell them they have to stop at a place that has a number. So they stop at a place that has a number. I flash the question up on the board because I don't want them solving it while they're walking around and for them to look for the answer while they're walking around. So I stop the music, they stop, I flash the question. So say the question is, this is going to be really easy, what's 1.2 plus 1.7, okay? So they're going to sit there and add it up. Whoever has the answer then comes up to the board and they show the class how to solve for that one, okay? And so what it's great, and I, again, this is the one time (laughs) I say lying to your students is okay, is I tell them, oh, questions or I'm sorry, answers might be repeated. So I don't want them to get their hearts full. Like, Oh, okay. I already got to the C. I'm going to try and not get to it again. (laughs) Okay. And so I tell them, you know, answers can be repeated. So I don't want you guys just to eliminate seats based off of the fact that they've answered already. Um, and so we'll do this again. I just took a worksheet of, instead of just them sitting there doing 20 plus questions, Now they're doing them while walking and moving around, listening to music, being engaging, showing the class how to do these problems, okay? And so, again, super fun, super engaging. I took the same thing that we would have been doing on a piece of paper, but instead changed it into a medium so the fact that we're walking around, listening to music, kind of being fun and silly, okay? So that's another way. So sometimes you might just need to move, uh, move it around so you're using music. Um, another one of my favorites is it's called, oh gee, I'm not sure what it's called. <laughs> it's neck. I just put basically, I'll put different numbers on necklaces. So this one, this one in particular, I feel like is really great for like fractions or decimals or something that you could easily place in order. Um, and so, and I'm going to show you, I'll show you two games. You can do these necklaces. So I made them like a couple years ago. You guys, I save these necklaces year to year to year. So that way I'm not replacing them. And you guys, they're nothing fancy. It's literally just a piece of string, a piece of index card with a hole punch in it. They weren't even laminated and then just different fractions with my marker. And so I gave each student, um, Oh, I know. Sorry. The sidebar. Okay. Whatever. Um, so I gave each of my students one of these fractions. Okay. And so I, you can do so many things with this. It's not even funny. Um, and again, so this, I would, I'd play music. Once the music stops, they have to find a partner. And what they do is, so say, I don't know, in fifth grade, we compare fractions. So I could have them, okay, you're going to compare the two fractions and then tell me which one's greater or which one's less than or whatever. Um, if you have run at a time or if you have too much time, then you can make equivalent fractions for either or. And so I would have them compare their fractions. So which one's larger, which one's less than, and then, um, kind of move on. And that's another easy way to do that. Another one that's fun. And again, this goes with adding or subtracting decimals is you can give each of your kids a decimal number. They have to add the two numbers together or sometimes subtract the two numbers together. And so I'd play a game where they would get their partners and then I would tell them the direction. Okay. You guys are going to add the two. Okay. So they would add them. Um, okay. Now you're going to subtract the two. And so they would, when they switch partners, they would subtract the two. Okay. And so it was a good way to kind of practice both. Um, when we got to obviously multiplication and division, sometimes I'd even throw in, okay, you're going to multiply the two numbers together. And so it was just a kind of a good way for them to practice all of them. Um, and remember all the rules when adding, subtracting, dividing, and multiplying with decimals. Um, another good thing, easy activity to do with these necklaces, give the kids the necklaces and kind of Anytime what, throughout the day, say, okay, you're going to get in number order, least to greatest, okay? And so they're going to, without talking, 
That's the hard part. And so they would quickly try to get into their number order or based off of their necklaces, right? And that's hard, learning how to put decimals in correct order, right, from least to greatest. And so the door is the greatest all the way to there is the least or whatever. And so they would get into their, their order. And then so they weren't memorizing what order there the students were in, I'd have them switch with somebody. And so they had to switch their necklaces. So they were constantly trying to practice getting in the correct order pretty much all day. And so that's an easy way to kind of practice, you know, those math facts rather than, again, having them have to sit there and do a worksheet. If you've not noticed, I'm, I hate the whole worksheet method. And so that's why I kind of laugh when a lot of these curriculums are just all workbook based. Okay. So talked a little bit about ELA, talked a little bit about math. And so now I kind of want to talk a teensy bit about social studies because to me, I think that one's really hard to make exciting and hands-on science. I mean, it's all hands-on. So I feel like you can't really go wrong with um, science. And if you guys do struggle with that, I highly suggest you guys look into up into mystery science. Um, I know you have to purchase the, the, um, the website, but I know they often offer free uh, one free year. So you can always kind of try it out for the year and see what you think. And if I remember correctly, I think they're pretty fairly inexpensive if you were interested in buying them for your district or for your classroom. Okay. Um, so social studies, unfortunately, we just got a new social studies curriculum. And I say unfortunately because all last year I kind of made my own and I made it my mission that we were never going to touch our social studies book. And I must say we succeeded. (laughs) Um, And some of you are probably thinking, how in the world did you do this? Um, A lot of times I did hands-on stuff. I would find articles and print them out. Um, It's very possible, you guys. All I used was, you know, Google search bar, YouTube, um, and hands-on lessons. And I could probably tell you last year was probably one of the best years I've ever done teaching social studies. Um, Well, I also say that because I came back from being on a high from going to Williamsburg, Virginia. I went to the Teacher Institute there and learned kind of how to make history fun and engaging. So I was kind of a little bit excited based off of that too. So I'm going to kind of give you a quick sample lesson um, of what I did. And this is so easy to do, you guys. You could do it for anything. So obviously, um, in the beginning of the year, we start learning about the pre-Columban, the people who were there before Columbus, okay? So your Native Americans, um, your Indians, um, trying to be PC, but I know some some tribes like Native Americans, some like Indians, some like neither. So I'm just going to kind of go with that. So obviously you guys, one of the biggest things is kind of talking about the different regions, right? Desert, plains, woodlands, um, coastal, okay? Mountain. So we kind of sit there and talk about the different geograph, wow, geographical regions of um, the United States. Okay, as we're doing that, then you kind of slowly go into the different tribes that resided in each of those regions. Okay, and so we had just fairly learned about the different regions, so they, they definitely knew what, what resources were in these regions and whatnot. And so we were kind of swaying into learning about these different tribes. Okay. And so what I did was at each of my table groups, um, I had just a brown paper bag with different little things inside of them. And what they had to do was they kind of, I told them they had to be a historic detective. Okay. And with their clues, try to figure out which geographical region they were. Okay. And so sometimes they'd be pulling out. So one, for example, I had like a little baggie of sand, 
fish. Um, there was wood. Okay, and all I did, you guys just look in my social studies book that I had and just looked up to see which natural resources these, these tribes were using in these areas. And I just tried to find that via real life in my backyard or at the Dollar Tree. <laughs> Nothing crazy. So, for example, my Great Plains one, I had... Um, like straw or rattan or that grassy kind of stuff that you can just get from Michael's. I just grabbed some of that, threw it in there. Um, I couldn't find buffalo, obviously, or something to represent it. So I think I just printed off a picture of a buffalo and throw it in there or a bison, sorry, and threw it in there. Okay. And so if you can't find anything, printing out a little picture or a clipper is just as great. So I kind of did that for all of the regions of the United States. Okay. And the table groups just kind of combed through those things and talked to other groups of what region they think they were based off of the resources that they had. Okay. That was step one. Then, so I use this as an intro to Native Americans. I kind of talked about, okay, if you were a Native American tribe in this region that you think you were, how do you think they would have used these resources or what types of things do you think they would have made from these resources? So they just had like a little, um, sheet of paper that there was like a little chart that kind of they filled in. So they thought that they would write down the different items, what they think they used them for. And it was just so awesome to see or like watch the, the conclusions they were drawing from this small little easy activity. There was an ounce of reading. It was just all hands-on and experience and discussions. And the things that they were drawing were probably better than if they would have just read an article, okay? And this is why I kind of fairly believe that when you guys are doing history, if you can try and find a way to make it hands-on and engaging, it makes it just that much more powerful. I actually had kids at the end of the year this year that told me, hey, Mrs. Harrick, history was like one of my least favorite things, and you really made a way to make it fun and engaging. And so that really hit home because that's what I was really trying to do um, last year. Okay, so that's kind of one super quick example that I did. Um, another one of my favorite things to do for history, you guys, it's called a gallery walk. Could not be more simple or more engaging. Okay, so I'm going to use this example because I think I might have used this for the Native American unit again. Um, so all I did, you guys, was just print off pictures of the different Native American tribes or things that had to do with the tribes. Sometimes they were paintings. They might have been um, primary documents of a song. Um, it could have been pictures of, like, arrowheads. So different things that I kind of got from our tech, my textbooks slash um, online. And all I did was kind of just pin them around our room. And I split the kids off into groups, okay? And they had, like, maybe one minute... And I just played like classical music in the background. They couldn't talk to anybody in their group and they just had to sit. And I had like maybe a T chart. So at each station they had to write down observations. Okay. Um, so they would have a minute to write down as many observations as they could about this specific painting or picture or primary document that they were at. So they would sit there, write down all their observations. Then I'd give them another minute. And this time they could talk to people in their group and they had one minute to write down inferences from the observations that they drew and they could talk with their groups if they wanted to. So then they'd sit there, they'd write their inferences down. So based off these observations, I think this, okay. And they would do that for all the things that I had in my room. And it was just fun because they were there for no longer than two minutes. They would switch and swap to the next place and just rotate around the room. And it was just so nice and so meaningful because then again, 
instead of sitting there reading this long textbook about drawn out stuff, now they're getting a little bit more insight. And I think those types of learning is way more meaningful than when it's handed to them straight from a textbook. Okay. And you guys, gallery walks are really easy to use for other things too. You can use them for science. You can use them for ELA. Um, but it's just a really easy, fun way to make um, social studies a little bit more exciting and engaging. Okay, so I've kind of talked your ear off of how like little tiny itty bitty strategies that I use to kind of, I guess, engage my learners just a little bit more to make things a little bit more exciting. Um, but then I wanted to kind of quickly touch on a couple other ones that I'm probably not going to have enough time to go in depth about, but they're definitely things that I use. So one, I like to use Kagan strategies and I'm sure you guys are familiar with Kagan strategies. Um, kind of similar to a lot of them that I've t discussed a little bit, but I've kind of changed a tiny um, little bit as well. But I highly suggest if you haven't heard of Kagan strategies that you look it up, they are in gate. They are super easy to make a lesson that maybe isn't the most exciting, a little bit more engaging. Um, they're easy ways to find partners, easy ways for your table groups to talk and discuss. And it's just kind of a nice, quick, organized way. Um, and once you kind of get the kids trained on these strategies, it's really easy to implement. Okay. So again, I'm not going to have a huge enough time to talk in depth of them, but if you haven't, highly look it up. Um, Kagan Strategies. And it starts with the K. K-A-G-A-N, I think. Kagan Strategies. Um, the next one that I'm going to talk about, and I know some of you guys are maybe rolling your eyes a little bit, but one thing that I've been trying to implement a tiny bit more is room transformations. And I know Hope King is like the goddess of room transformations, but you guys, they don't need to be super fancy. Um, one of my favorite ones to do with genres is actually an idea from Head Over Heels from Teaching, Joanne Miller. Um, she does the the book tastings. And so what she does is she'll have each table be a different genre and she'll have like a handful of books at that table. And so you just have the kids rotate and quickly look into these books and kind of write down ones that they're interested in. It's kind of a good way to dip into these different genres of reading that they would have never really um, read before. And so it's nothing crazy. She just goes to the Dollar Tree and buys like the, that cheap picnic, um, picnic tablecloths and she'll put them on the desks and she'll have the um the books on the desk with like maybe a cute little tray from again dollar tree there's like dollar tree candles and she'll have a sign that says each of the genres on the different tables and then so she, um she'll bring in like little goodies and snacks and stuff that they can eat and munch on while they're tasting or after they're tasting and it's just super fun cute and engaging and just a really creative way for kids to kind of dig into maybe a medium of reading they wouldn't have originally picked up. Okay. So that's something super easy, fun, and engaging to kind of make something like dipping into genres engaging. And you guys, when in doubt, just look things up on Pinterest. Um, I get things all, up all the time or ideas all the time from something that someone posted. Okay. Like that book tasting, I'm sure you could use for another way, right? Um, I see people do like, like doctor theme while they're like doing surgery of like order of operations or contractions. Okay. And so there's just different ways to kind of do these themes and they don't always have to be super expensive. They don't always have to be super blown out of proportion. My very first one, I think it might've been that book tasting one, you guys in it. I literally just bought some tablecloths, called it a day, didn't do anything fancy. Um, 
I just recently, the end of the year last year, did the Harry Potter one that Wild Things Learn does. And I went a little bit crazier than what I usually do, but you guys, everything I made, handmade. Um, and so if you can, and there's a will, there's a way, you can do things handmade. You can go ask for donations if you have enough um, time ahead of time. Um, and so again, they don't have to be super fancy. And if you can find things that you do spend money on, make sure that they're reusable so you can use them from year to year to year. Um, and so I hope that's, that's kind of pretty much all I have for you guys today. Um, (laughs) I didn't realize I was going to go so in depth about certain things. So I hope I gave you guys maybe some different strategies. I mean, I feel like most of y'all know about room transformations and cake and strategies. So that's why I didn't particularly want to go deep into those. Um, I'm hoping some of the strategies that I shared with you maybe are a little bit different or a little bit exciting. Um, that maybe aren't touched on a whole bunch. So again, if you guys have any questions, feel free to email me at hello, Mrs. Harwick at gmail.com. You can also go over to my blog, hello, Mrs. Harwick.com and send me a message on the con- via the contact button. You can also um, DM me on my Instagram, hello, Mrs. Harwick. I promise that one's probably the easiest one to get a hold of me. I'm have my phone on me all the time. Um, I can hopefully answer any questions that you have. Um, and that's kind of pretty much all I have for you guys. If you are listening to this on a Tuesday, I hope you're having a fantastic Tuesday. And if you're not, I hope you're having a fantastic day in general. Um, don't forget to rate and review this podcast right now. I'm kind of having a little promo. If you write a review and you leave your Instagram name, you are going to be put into a giveaway to pick anything from my teachers pay teacher store. So make sure you guys do that. It only takes a minute and it means the world to me. Um, so with that, have a wonderful day. Keep doing what you're doing. You amazing educators, you. So I guess this is it till next time. Yes, don't forget to check out the show notes for any of the links that I discussed in today's episode. If you enjoyed today so far, please share it with a friend um, because the more the merrier. Thanks for tuning in and I can't wait to see you guys next time.